little boy living in Colorado near the mountains. Ran out of the house, mad at his mother, shouting, I hate you, I hate you. And the words reverberated off the valley walls. And they came back to him. I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And he ran into his mother and said, Mommy, the boy was outside in the woods and he yelled at me. He said, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And his mom said, son, just go back outside. And yell right back at that little boy, I love you, I love you, I love you. And the little boy ran outside and did as his mother told him. And the words came back, I love you, I love you, I love you. Sometimes in our lives there are those moments of momentary conflict, momentary anger, momentary disgust for one another, and anger, and rash words are said, feelings are hard, and in the church that can be very divisive, and it can destroy the family of God's people. And as Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, as we've been studying, he's been writing about this sort of thing. And just like as the little boy in the story that Mid McKnight used to tell, we need to sometimes come back and say, I love you, I love you, I love you. This morning I want us to look at Colossians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 12, and look at how Paul tells the church at Colossae, sometimes there is conflict among you, but there is a way past that conflict. There is a way to healing. And I want us to see what he has to say about getting past that conflict, getting to that healing. I want us to consider the context of what he's saying and how we can build each other up as a church. And then think about how we can do that as Christians today. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please be turning to Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. And notice what Paul has to say to these Christians. He says in verse 12, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, you. beyond all these things, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Paul tells these Christians at Colossae, he says, look, you need to live in this way. You need to behave towards one another in this way. And he says, put on compassion, put on kindness. He says, bear with one another, forgive each other. 
And we can read those words and we can intellectually understand them and we can grasp them. But we forget how messy the church, even in the first century, could be. We've spent the last two weeks looking at the earlier chapters of Colossians. And as we look at this, it becomes evident to us how much conflict there may have been in this church. Conflict between Jew and Gentile, between human traditions and what people from different backgrounds needed to do, and even conflict over the significance of who Christ is. And so Paul had already told them. And I remind you of some of the things that he says. Look, for instance, in chapter 2, verse 4. He says, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments. For even though I'm absent in the body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit. And so he says, look, let no one deceive you with these things. Look at verse 8, chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. But Paul's not talking about philosophy of the world. Paul's not talking about uh, problems in society. He's talking about things that are being taught by those within the church. Notice what he says, verse 18, chapter 2. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head. The conflict that was troubling the church at Colossae was not from outside. It was within. And we said that a couple weeks ago. But I want you to understand that sometimes in the church there are problems that arise because of conflicts that we have with one another. And whoever this individual was or these, this group of individuals were, Paul says, look, they are in your face so much that you might be defrauded of your prize. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago, the heavenly reward. And someone thinking in the church, maybe I'm not a good enough Christian. I can't live up to that standard. And so they even talked about who the significance of Christ was. And then they said, look how good of a Christian I am. And so Paul says in verse 20, if you have died with Christ to the limited principles of the world, why are you living uh, in the world? Do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not touch, do not taste? And so there were people in the church that were nitpicking at each other saying, how come you don't participate in this holiday? Why don't you follow these dietary standards that we have lived up to all of our lives? And you had people evidently in the church at Colossae who were Jewish, and they'd been brought up with all of these standards, all of these uh, ways of looking at the world. And then you had people from a pagan background evidently, and they had a completely different view of the world. And maybe to some of those folks, they looked at, at, at people eating meat in the marketplaces, meat that uh, served to idols. And, and to that was horrible because that brought that they could remember as they lived in the pagan world. Paul really develops that idea in 1 Corinthians. But evidently there was conflict in all of that. And it was causing problems in the church of Colossae. 
So much so that even though Paul had never been to Colossae, he says, you know what? I've heard about this, and I need to address it. And so Paul says, here's what we need to do. Chapter 3, verse 9, he reminds them, don't lie to one another. He's put on a new self. Verse 11, he says, There is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freeman, all of these different demographics made up that church. And Paul says, here's how we get past that. Here's how we run back in that valley and say, I love you, I love you, I love you. He says, verse 12, As those who have been chosen by God, regardless of your backgrounds, Put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with another, one another. And then he says in verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. But what I really want you to focus your mind on this morning is verse 15. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. As I was studying this passage, this verse resonated with me as I began to dwell, dig into this idea of rule. Sometimes we think about rule, and many times in scriptures we read about Jesus being a king, or God being a king. We hear about God reigning in our lives, like a king reigns. A king has authority. A king has power. And in that sense, he rules our lives. But that's not the word that's used here. The idea of rule is the idea of an umpire. The Greek word being translated here originally referred to the work of an umpire. And it came to mean a, to decide or make a decision or a rule. And so it came to mean the way that you control your thoughts. And that's how Paul's using it. But I want you to think about how an umpire works. He evaluates different positions. He, he looks at the rule book and he says, this person is abiding by the rules or this person isn't. He's taking sides in a competitive game. And Paul's flipping that analogy by saying what ought to be the umpire in your life is the peace of Christ. The peace of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? The peace of Christ. Does that mean that the peace that comes from Jesus does it mean the peace that describes Jesus? There's a lot of different ways you might interpret that, path, that, that phrase. And I'm not sure that we can resolve exactly how Paul means that. Phrase. I know that in Isaiah chapter 9 and Isaiah chapter 11, the Messianic prophet describes the kingdom of God as being a kingdom of The little boy, and the lion, and the bear, and the viper, and the lamb are all there together. 
there's no threats. There's no devouring. There's no harming. They dwell together. Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah says, look, when the kingdom of God comes, it's going to be so wonderful because the warrior's boot only has one purpose, and that's to be fuel for the fire. There's no more war. His battle tumult, he rolls up, he rolls fire. Why? He doesn't need it anymore. He's not marching out in battle. He doesn't need a around him to keep him warm as he goes off to battle. The kingdom of God was to come through peace. Is that Messiah? His kingdom is a peaceful kingdom. And so Paul is saying, look, church, if you want to be the people of Jesus, if you want to be the people of Christ, then what that means is in the way that you interact with each other, there's one thing that helps you decide how you resolve these conflicts, and the thing that helps you resolve that is the peace of Jesus. Take that understanding, and let's go back and look at verse 12. How do we have the peace of Jesus? When I start dealing with someone with a heart of compassion, that means I may not necessarily agree with how they got to where they are. We like to use the phrase, you made your bed, now you sleep in it. And the idea is you got yourself in this mess, now you get yourself out of it, bud. But a heart of compassion says, I may not under, uh, agree with how you got here, but I'm going to have compassion for you. Kindness, humility. The idea of humility is so important because Paul says, look, there are folks there in the church at Colossae who are holding themselves up saying, look at the vision I have. Let me tell you about it. I want to tell you how great of a Christian I am. I don't touch that yucky stuff. I don't taste that nasty stuff. And I'm just so good. You ought to be just like me. And there are some Jewish Christians there, and they were saying, look, we follow these festivals, we follow this dietary standard, and look how good we are, and you Gentiles ought to be the same here. And it was creating conflict. But you see, if I have the peace of Christ guiding my decisions, being the umpire, if you will, in my life, I am able to look at someone and say, you know what? I go to those I listen to that kind of music. I eat that kind of You can't. I don't have to force my on you and to say, look how good I am. And so Paul says, have some humility. Have some gentleness and patience. As we deal with people as they grow in their spiritual walk and their spiritual faith, it requires us to have gentleness and patience. Gentleness is the idea that we're not harsh with each other. I make a mistake. You can come at me with guns blazing, can't you? Just really let me have it coming and going. Or you could say, seek and in your mind find a gentle way to correct that action or that behavior. 
And patience is the idea that we understand, hey, look, someone is coming out of something. Sometimes it takes them a while to overcome that. I don't care. Mistake. And so there are some ways that we can deal with each other, Paul says, in which we are able to have that peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. How should I act? What is the peace of Christ? 13, he says, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. And he says, look, sometimes you're going to have a complaint against someone else. And you need to let that go. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive others. Love, that sacrificial love, agape love, he says, verse 14. Which is the complete bond of unity. There are times that there is sin in the church, and we have to deal with that. And there are times when there is false instruction in the church, and we've got to deal with that too. Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, you who, If anyone you who are spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness, watching out for your own soul, lest you too stumble. And so when there's sin in the church, you can't just let that go. And that's not what I'm saying here. Talking about people who have personal standards and they say, look how good I am. And if evidently they were getting in each other's faces. And it was creating conflict in the church. And Paul says, that's not what the church is about, guys. All to be one body. And the thing that drives your thinking is that peace of Christ. It's within that context of getting along together as a church that Paul says in verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We can encourage and teach and admonish, that sometimes means warn, each other through the songs that we sing. And the singing that we do. In fact, this is the purpose. One of the purposes of why we sing. Paul has a, a parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 5. That we sing one to another to teach and admonish each other. In what we ought to be doing. And how we ought to be living. The, the phrase in the English language that says to one another... Is a, is a pronoun in the Greek that means everyone is involved in doing it to each other. It's a reciprocal pronoun. So everyone's involved in it. That's why that we all sing. If you're a Christian in a worship service, you need to be singing because we are teaching and admonishing one another. And a lot of times we get so scared, we think, oh, I can't sing. And we have little boys at home that say, Dad, don't sing because you sound awful. We all sing because we one another. And as a cappella song says, how well you can sing. But we need to sing, teach, and admonish one another. Now, in this letter to the church at Colossae, Paul is dealing with some theological problems that evidently existed in the church at Colossae. Now that some evidently hinted at the fact that maybe Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. And so he spends a lot of time in chapter 2 talking about the fact that Jesus really did come in the flesh. And he really was all God. 
And that's something that as we sing together with our spiritual songs, with our hymns, with our songs, we are talking about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And see, listen to the preacher, right, like you're doing right now, and think, oh, that's really great stuff, like you're doing right now, right? When you sing it, sing it, and sing it, and you're singing it to one another, and you're hearing it from other people, some who sing it really well, and some who sing it really bad, but you're all singing it, you're reinforcing those messages. And, and you're instructing each other, no, Jesus really is the Christ, Jesus really is God, this is what Jesus wants me to do with my life, this is how I ought to conduct myself as a Christian. And you are teaching and admonishing each other, even if you're not the person that's going to stand up here and preach. And we all have that obligation. And so Paul says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. That's an interesting phrase to me. Because it's one of those plural yous. Is he saying let the word richly dwell in the church? Is he saying let it richly dwell in each of you? A distributive pronoun. And he says when you leave that worship assembly, when you leave that time together, verse 17, whatever you do in word, all in the name of the Lord giving thanks through him Father. We ought to constantly be giving thanks to God. If we're giving thanks to God for what he has done for us, how can we spend our time belittling, belittling each other, cutting each other down? Because we think we've got it figured out. Because we do it the best way. As some in Colossae evidently thought. In the way they evidently behaved. Paul said, put that away. Everett Ferguson, one of his books, Early Christians Speak, highlights uh, some of the songs that were sung in the first century as we have had them handed down to us. Uh, I want to just read you a couple of the songs that have been recorded by the early church fathers. I think it's interesting uh, what some of these songs are. I've got to find my page marker here. Listen to what some of these words are. Uh, Ignatius, we're talking about 150 A.D. This is one of the songs that's been handed down. There is one physician, both fleshly and spiritual, begotten and unbegotten, God who came in the flesh, true life in death, both of Mary and of God, first passable, then impassable, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's another song that survived. My heart was circumcised. Grace bloomed in it, and it bore fruit to God. The Most High circumcised me with his Holy Spirit and exposed my secret parts before him. He filled me with his love. His circumcision became for me salvation. I have run in the way of truth and peace, from the beginning to the end, I have received to this understanding. I was established on a solid rock where he placed me. The murmuring water approached my lips. I drunk, excuse me, I drank rather from the fountain of the Lord's life in his abundance. And I became intoxicated with immortal water. But my intoxication did not deprive me of reason. Another song which has survived, which I thought was interesting. 
uh, we only have bits and pieces of it. It says, now work out the inheritance. Now is the time for you to give, even now to those in great hunger. God said to care for strangers, the strangers and the helpless. Show hospitality in order that you may escape the fire. God sent him in order to suffer. He received eternal life. He preached the power of immortality. He preached the gospel to his servants, saying, The poor receive the kingdom to be children of his inheritance. He was scourged as an example in order that he might provide an influence for us all. He was, has broken death in order that it might be destroyed, in order that after dying you may see the resurrection, in order that you may see eternal light, in order that you may receive the God of light. The song uh, along those lines. But those were ancient hymns that have survived from the first and second century A.D., those were the types of songs that would have been sung in the church, as Paul writes to the church at Colossae. Do you see how that informs the idea that Jesus is Christ, that Jesus is God, Jesus came in the flesh? And it addressed the idea of some in the church at Colossae that said, no, nah, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. Or yeah, there was a guy named Jesus, but he wasn't really God. No, those songs reinforce that idea. And those songs reinforce the idea that as Christians, we ought to be doing different things. We ought to be serving the poor. We ought to be uh, doing different works of service. And as we sing, we teach each other. The songs that we sing, some of them are spiritual songs. Songs that somebody has written that are of a spiritual nature. Some are psalms, probably psalms that you and I know as coming from the book of Psalms. And some are hymns. I'll let experts define the difference between a spiritual song and a hymn, but there is a difference. The point is, you're not just saying silly phrases, but you are doing something to teach and encourage. As Christians today, I'm glad that as a new church plant, we're not dealing with the issues that the church at Colossae was dealing with. We don't have backbiting. We don't have gossiping. We don't have undercurrents of, of discord in our congregation. And I hope that we never will. I hope that we'll have that attitude of love and humility and gentleness and patience with one another. As we grow and we reach out and we baptize folks and we lead them to a knowledge of Christ, there are going to be folks that are overcoming things in their lives and we need to have humility and gentleness and patience to help them grow. A lot of times we baptize someone and we want them to be an expert Christian the next morning. That's not the way it ought to go. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I have taught you. And Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We have an obligation to take someone that's a brand new disciple of Christ, a brand new Christian, Help them mature, help them grow. And that means growing in their knowledge, but also the knowledge of what it is to be a Christian, how to mature as a Christian. And sometimes along the way, they're going to do things differently than we do. And we could come at them and, and, and sh with guns blazing and smack them around and say, look, that's all wrong, and, and really come at them hard. But when we do that, we do very little teaching and more and more driving them away. We have to find a way with gentleness, as Paul says here, and as he says in Galatians 6, 1, to teach them, to restore them, 
to help them grow. And sometimes we encounter people that have been Christians for years and they've been working and they've been serving and they're tired and they need encouragement to keep going. And maybe their service changes over time. But encourage them to continue to serve. We all need that encouragement to have that passion, to have that desire, to have that motivation to keep going, to keep serving. Because as the song says, we have an inheritance that we are looking for. And sometimes in our work and our life together, we run out in the valley and we say, oh, I heard someone say, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. And what we need to do is run right back out and say, I love you, I love you, I love you. And when we do that, the church will be built, the church will grow, and God will be glorified by everything we say in word and in deed. If you're here this morning and you need the encouragement of the church, you need to grow up in, in, in Christ, not in a pejorative, but you need to mature and grow, or there's other things that you need in your life, whatever you need, once you come. But together we stand.